Media at SAFM with Ashraf Gardner. And I suppose that point that was just made by um, Lulu the, in, in terms of uh, Twitter is so relevant to what we're talking about now because we're talking about World Cup sponsorship. You know, is it worth it? Do sponsors get their return on investment? And it happens every four years, but maybe not so because there's a massive build-up uh, before, uh, during, and, and I would assume that even after the event, well, it has to be, isn't it? Otherwise, it's simply not worth it. So that's what we're discussing. Uh, sponsors, World Cup sponsors, do they get their return on investment? There's a great show for the rest of the next two hours coming up, so listen in to get your two-hour on-air consultation. My name's Ashraf Garda. Welcome to the show. You can connect with us, 891 you have the option to SMS at 34701, and uh, if you are tweeting, it's at Ashraf Ghanada. And while we're talking about Father's Day, let me just say this. I wish you Father's Day, um, but I'll say this from my point of view, it's, and maybe to borrow what has happened with the former U.S. president, it's, it's not so much what you expect your, or ask not what your kids should give you on this Father's Day, but ask yourself, what are the lessons and the forms of inspiration that you can inspire your children. That would be the gift you need to give them on this Father's Day. All right, let's get then with the World Cup sponsorship issue. Three guests I have. James Monteith is the MD of the Sport Industry Group. Uh, James, good chatting to you. Hi. Morning, Ashraf. Good morning indeed. Calvin Watt is well with us, Executive Chairman of RapuCom. Calvin, hi. Morning, Ashraf. Morning, James. Morning, indeed. And I just want to see if we connected with Michael Goldman, who's, uh, of course, now based in San Francisco, for, well, adjunct for, uh, faculty at Gibbs, and now associate professor at the University of San Francisco. Michael, good chatting to you as well. It's good evening for you, so around midnight, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Good morning, all. Good morning, indeed. Okay, so since it's midnight your time, it's last night. Then let me start with you, Michael. Uh, World Cup sponsorship, I asked you that just specific thing. Do sponsors in general get their return on investment in sponsoring the World Cup? Well, absolutely. The uh, six top sponsors of the uh, kind of FIFA World Cup and, and really FIFA's ongoing tournaments really do get significant returns, not just in terms of media ROI, which is, I guess, the basic um, more financial measure, a more direct measure of their returns, but uh, really a broader measure of their competitive performance relative to their, their category competitors, uh, so those other brands that are trying to compete for uh, customers' attention, uh, as they try and move customers uh, towards sales. So it's an ongoing challenge. It, it really is beyond the right. It's about activation as well. Uh, but certainly if you look at those brands signing on for another 10, 20 years, uh, there's significant returns that they're seeing for their business in the short term and the long term. Okay, which means there is a queue of, of wannabe sponsors, isn't it? James Monteith, you concur? Um, I do, Ashraf. You know, I, I think Michael's hit, hit the nail on the head that brands are lining up to sponsor the World Cup. So there's definitely um, a return for them. Ultimately, it's got to be about, you know, what is the bottom line to the business? World Cup sponsorships are not cheap. Um, it's estimated FIFA is going to make in the region of $2 billion just from sponsorships alone. Um, you know, for, for this World Cup cycle. Um, and that's expected to increase to probably around $2.4 billion for the next cycle. Um, that's a significant amount of money. But you've got to remember that it's what the brands do with the World Cup that's going to determine the, the success of the tournament for, for the individual brand. Yeah, that's very important. What, in fact, they do. Calvin, what your, your opening salvo here? Well, I think, you know, I think the guys are right. I mean, I know... When you look at the cycles that James has been speaking about, the, the FIFA's increased, the, the numbers we have is just over to 1.5 billion that FIFA have actually announced in the work that we do with them, which is an increase of 45% on 
what they took in the South African cycle and 166% increased on the cycle into, into the German cycle. So there's not a lot of businesses that are, are growing their revenues by those numbers. Um, and, you know, and certainly in that respect, the Football World Cup and the products that, that FIFA has out in the market are certainly delivering. And, you know, once you start looking at many of the metrics, and I'm sure we'll discuss them both from a television perspective, but from a social and digital media perspective of the last World Cup and the growth into this World Cup, there's no doubt that sponsors are getting their money's worth. Well, you know, let's then talk about it. I mean, first of all, in terms of rights, because when we talk about return on investment, we're looking at what does it cost uh, a sponsor to, to associate itself with, uh, with the World Cup? Calvin, you want to just give us your thoughts on that and then the various tiers that they have? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously there, there are a number of tiers and the prices are, are very, very different depending on, on the relationships that people have had and, and how their deals have been structured with FIFA over a long, long time. Um, and, you know, and, and depending on what they're looking to get out of it. I mean, certainly the space that Adidas and them are playing and you really get the dominant share of voice when it comes around FIFA and, and growth in. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really that sector of the market that, that, that is generating the most uh, talkability um, in the market. Is, is, is a very expensive sector compared to some of the others, you know, some of these smaller partnerships that they, they have in place. Mm-hmm. All right, I also want to, I'm happy to get a couple of calls if you have any thoughts on this issue. World Cup sponsors, do they get their return on investment? Just think about this, by the way. We know there are, are what they call sort of FIFA partners. Coca-Cola comes to mind. They've been a partner forever as far as I know. But what about, you know, second-tier sponsors? Uh, I can think of a South African company that was a sponsor at the last World Cup. How many other second-tier sponsors uh, can you remember from the 2010 World Cup? And uh, as you're listening, think about this. Has this actually got you convinced you to, to buy, you know, whatever, that, that type of food or that car or that drink? Think about that, whether that's had an impact on you then and uh, how many sponsors can you remember even at this 2010 World Cup right now? You can SMS me to 34701. If you're tweeting, well, use the hashtag media show, but tweet to at Ashraf Garda, and you can also call in, certainly, 0891-104-207. Michael Goldman, you know, the earlier point we had uh, when, when James said it, a lot depends on what, in fact, you do. So when the sponsor, uh, you know, engages and has a relationship, a contractual relationship with FIFA, the big thing is, besides the money side, what then do they do with their sponsorship? Give, give me your thoughts on, you know, examples of, of where sponsorship has worked superbly, uh, you know, by association with the World Cup. Absolutely. I think the activation aspect and leveraging of the sponsorship rights is critical, and that's really where the returns happen. The returns don't typically happen from just the rights that you purchase. That's just the opportunity that you are provided as part of an exclusive group to then activate on that. And so these brands are spending perhaps as much as they're spending on rights they're spending on activation as well. Uh, and this is everything from retail activations to product activations to some of the additional media and social media activations that we're seeing. So I think one of the, the interesting brands at the top tier uh, is someone like Visa. Uh, and Visa, who's put in perhaps $160 million over the four years, mm-hmm. really see this as an opportunity to build an awesome relationship with their banking partners and to differentiate themselves from those other credit card companies uh, who are equally trying to do great business with the banks and with the retailers and with the merchants. And so when you have a business network like Visa has, this is not just about you or I with our Visa cards, but this is an entire value network that Visa is, is using the World Cup to activate around. And so whenever you go in and use your Visa card wherever you do anywhere around the world, especially within that two-kilometer radius around the facilities in Brazil, mm-hmm. um, you really are 
seeing the way Lidl is building a stronger relationship with the merchants, with the banks, with consumers, uh, and using those exclusive rights and activating them very cleverly. So I think we see that across the board, and as you say, beyond the top six into the next eight uh, World Cup-specific sponsors as well. Mm. Well, but that's interesting, because I, if I think of it, I have a Visa card, uh, James, but, but how much... Uh, you know, besides the actual activation during a World Cup month-long or six-week tournament, outside of that, you know, if I ask myself, do I ever associate Visa with FIFA? Quite honestly, my answer is, no, I never really thought about it. You know, James, you know, you're, you're, you're going to pick up on the examples of, again, activations during a World Cup event and, and then activations outside the World Cup where, where, you know, in terms of brand awareness is in the mind of the public. Ashraf, you know, we need to remember that the World Cup is the most watched television event in the world. It's larger than any other sporting event. Um, it's broadcast to more countries and territories in the world than anything else. Um, you know, we're not talking hundreds of millions of people. We're talking billions of people that will tune in at some other stage of the tournament to actually watch. So a lot of the activation happens around that month-long tournament. I think that the value to the brands, however, is, you know, as you were saying, what do they do outside of that month? Mm-hmm. And World Cup activations can start, you know, anything from four to six months prior to the actual tournament taking place. You know, if, if, if you recall driving into a McDonald's recently, there are special promotional packs where you can win tickets to the event. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of those logistics have to happen quite a bit before the tournament actually starts. You know, Coca-Cola do their World Cup trophy to a, you know, six odd months um, before the tournament starts. So there is a build-up leading up to the tournament. It does drop off quite quickly afterwards, though. From a business point of view, um, you know, and if you look at someone like Park Hoy, which is a, a new Irish sponsor that has just come on board, um, many of us in South Africa won't even know who they are. They're, mm-hmm. a, they're a poultry manu- manufacturing business who has a holding company in Brazil. But for them, it's more than just you know, sales over the tournament. Yes, there's opportunities for them to activate in-store. But for them, it's more of a business-to-business relationship. Um, People will now start sitting up and saying, well, you know, these are obviously major players in the market if they're associated with with FIFA. It certainly gives them lots of, uh, well, credibility or even even in terms of perception. And I think maybe, therefore, two South African companies, if we reflect on 2010 World Cup, uh, F&B and MTN comes to mind. Calvin, what maybe... Maybe you can comment on that. You know, what what impact has it had uh, on the MTN brand as they grew, you know, from South Africa to the rest of the African continent and then the Middle East? And the same then with uh, with, with F&B, of course, which was very much a localized regional sponsor during the 2010 World Cup only. Absolutely. Now, I think we, we always see these things. I mean, you know, I think once you're hosting the World Cup, a whole lot of different factors come into play, and it's about, you know, nationalism and people just being excited about the fact that that they're a part of that. And I think... Both MTN, from a South African perspective, and I think MTN is a bit different to, to FND, but certainly FND were very much getting behind a, the fact that South Africa was hosting the World Cup. They were more they were more sponsoring that and being involved in that as opposed to looking at their sponsorship as a FIFA sponsorship. Um, MTN very much was looking at it, I guess, from an African continental perspective, where if I remember correctly at the time, they were operating on 22 countries in Africa at the time um, and using that opportunity to talk into those markets. Many of those markets, for example, like Ghana, uh, where they were actively involved in those countries were also participating in this World Cup. So for them, the reason for being involved um, in that sponsorship is very different to the Emirates, the Coca-Cola, the Adidas, the Tetra that were sponsoring it at a, at a, at a sort of an international level and on a global level every four-year cycle with FIFA. So really looking for a very different set of emotional 
um, engagement uh, with the people that were that were engaged in football at that time. All right. And I think very similarly, once we start looking at the sponsorship around around World Cup, we shouldn't just be looking at the sponsorship that FIFA is is working with. You know, it's very important to understand that huge amounts of money are also being generated by the national federations that are participating. I mean, for example, Brazil on its own for its national team is getting 145 million dollars worth of sponsorship, mostly from local. Brazilian companies mm, for this current mm, World Cup. Mm, England is generating another 100 or 105 odd million dollars. So there's that aspect to it. And then I think the thing that we're really starting to see change, and we're seeing it from the Hyundai's of the world and, and from Adidas, the Nikes who are using it as an ambush, I guess, opportunity around FIFA 2010 yeah. at 2014, is this whole celebrity endorsement and sponsoring the players themselves. I think, you know, for a lot of people now, the realization has come, and Michael spoke about activation and various things earlier on, and specifically outside the six weeks or four or five weeks of the actual tournament itself, it's that sponsorship of these individuals that really starts to live um, for the customers from the mm-hmm. in-store, from an online and digital perspective. And I think if you start having a look at just what's taking place, you know, with, with, with the individuals, you know, the, the Lionel Messi's and their sponsorships from Turkish Airlines and Adidas and Dolce and Gabbana. Um, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's, a, very, that's a very interesting really point. coming to the forefront as opposed to these FIFA long four-year cycle sponsorships. Okay, that's an interesting point. By the way, Harry, who was going to call you, we've lost you. Do call back. I'll get your thoughts. I want to get your opinion. 089 We're asking about the World Cup sponsors, uh, well, so the sponsors of the World Cup. You know, do they get the return on investment? Some say it's a given. That's why there's a queue for them. But, you know, how, in fact, do they... Do they genuinely get some serious benefit out of it. If you have any thoughts on it, comments, I'd like to know uh, the point, Calvin. What made about um, Leisgen and Lionel Messi? Obviously, goodness, yesterday, just before the games last night, uh, I had to go buy some crisps and, of course, uh, why did I buy some plain Lays in that yellow packet? And it just shows you the power of that Lionel Messi uh, Lays Association. Certainly works for me. Michael Goldman, your thoughts on that? That's, that means individual sponsorship because I would, I would presume that, you know, Individual sponsorship, how, how does that work? They can't necessarily market during an actual event, right? But they certainly can market to broadcasters during that event for that month-long period, but not at the actual stadiums themselves if they don't have an arrangement with FIFA, right? Absolutely, and, and FIFA's marketing rights and, and uh, legal and technical team is extremely strict, as we know from our experiences in 2010 around that. Um, so, so Kelvin's right when he, when he talks about the real shift, I think, that we're seeing strongly uh, this time around, around individuals and celebrities and personalities. Um, and if you look at what Nike's done and Dr. Dre and Beats, and, and we've seen a number of really great um, activations around athletes, uh, or, uh, or profiles of athletes uh, when it's not necessarily the real thing. Uh, and, and really that what that's working off is uh, these side deals that are outside of FIFA's very strict marketing rights. And so um, I, th- I think what we saw in 2010 was people skating a little bit too close to the rules and overstepping those rules a few times in terms of ambush. I think uh, the, the ambushing brands, the category competitor brands to our sponsors this time around have been much cleverer in terms of the deals they've done early on with specific countries in terms of Nike and and sponsoring specific teams uh, or specific individuals uh, outside of the tournament. And they're able to use that and leverage that association for the average football fan who isn't looking at this as closely as we are, uh, and they're really just confused about who's a sponsor and who isn't a sponsor. And so when you're seeing these great activations from Nike and others, um, the average person on Twitter and the average Mm -hmm. follower of the World Cup uh, thinks that this is a, a great sponsor. 
Absolutely, but that's important because we'll come to ambush marketing as well in a second. Some comments uh, that I just want to pick up. Harry, we come to you in a minute. Uh, I think we must repose the question and ask if host nations gain. Uh, the mass protests will continue challenging profits by corporations and FIFA bosses compared to the hidden costs of the people, including democracy. This will damage brands, surely, from Hassan Logan. Hassan, good point. How, having said that, I had a big discussion about that and the South African 2010 World Cup, where they ultimately was worth it a few days ago on the, on the current affairs show that I do. So this is strictly with the sponsorship uh, aspect. Uh, Bill keeps saying, Ashraf, I love the Lay's chips. Add with Messi. This uh, lightly salted yellow packet is my favorite. Goodness, you sound just like me, Bilkish. Harry uh, in Cape Town, hi. Hi, morning, Asma. Yeah, hi, go ahead. You know, uh, FIFA is run like, like a mafia, man, you know. They give rights to people to, to get onto the executive and they promise allegiance to Mr. Blatter. And you see what happens with countries that don't toe the line, you know. And if you read the papers now... All right, but Harry, let, let's talk... I, I, want, I want to narrow it down to, to the sponsorship only, if, if you don't mind. I, I need to just talk sponsorship yeah, only. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I just elaborate on that part? Yeah. Go ahead. Not the goal line technology. Yeah. Now, that was part of... the example of what happened. The people who didn't come with the right idea, didn't make enough kickback, the goal line uh, technology was delayed for such a long time. Option and not sponsorship, you see, that's what I'm saying. Thanks for that call, Harry. I'm not disputing any of that, but I think we need to get to the issues of sponsorship specifically. Uh, surely, Ashraf, they do benefit. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting so much energy into it. It comes from uh, Dumisani, and uh, Sanjay says, yes, it's all about money. It was never about soccer. Let's then go back to, uh, to my guest. I've got three guests, James Monteith, who's the MD of the Sport Industry Group. Calvin Watt is the Executive Chairman of RepuCom, and Michael Goldman is the Associate Professor at the University of San Francisco, also with serious links to uh, Gibbs, of course, who's currently based in San Francisco. All of them, huge interest in sports sponsorship and, and how that certainly works. James, let, let's then talk about ambush marketing, because as much as it costs big companies, multinationals, huge amounts of money to uh, associate themselves with FIFA during the World Cup, and as much as they then activate around it, there are companies that have nothing to do with the World Cup proper. Nike comes to mind, Calvin Watt made that point already, uh, and they do pretty well fine. Uh, talk to me about how, how that works out. Well, you know, to, to the point I was actually making earlier, that there's this massive hype around the tournament. So what brands do is they try and feed off of that hype and go and create really, really clever campaigns. Now, Michael mentioned the draconian laws that FIFA have with respect to their rights, and, and I think justly so. Um, it's a big ticket item, and those rights need to, to actually be protected. But I actually enjoy watching a lot of the other brands that are not FIFA partners um, in terms of how they actually put together marketing strategies and campaigns to leverage off of the hype around the World Cup. You know, and a couple that we've mentioned already, things like uh, Beats by Dre have done some phenomenal stuff on, on social media um, surrounding the World Cup. Uh, there have been you know, great campaigns by Nike. But it's not just limited to competitors of World Cup sponsors. Um, we find many, many other brands as well that want to leverage off of that, that hype that the World Cup actually creates. All right, and, and what about the individuals that we touched on earlier? Do, do you think overall it actually works for sponsors and it's far cheaper? I'm talking of sponsors who are not official sponsors, who then go out uh, sponsoring a, an individual as an ambassador, uh, and it works for them? It is a much, much cheaper option. Um, the trick, obviously, with individuals is to find the right individual, mm. the one that resonates with the personality of your brand, um, one that people are going to follow. And, you know, if you look at the Lionel Messi's of the world or the Neymar's, 
a lot of kids specifically look up to these football stars as absolute heroes. So if Neymar gets off the bus and he's wearing beats, they're going to be a bunch of kids knocking on their parents' door saying, I need beats by Dre because Neymar's wearing them. So um, it definitely works. It's a much more cost-effective option than obviously taking a $160 million um, sponsorship package from FIFA. Um, and you can actually get much better bang for your, for your buck. Of course, but the risk is that being an individual, if that guy gets either injured very quickly or gets red carded and his tournament is over, uh, then you have serious problems. But I mean, that would be the checks and balances. Uh, obviously, sponsors would, would put up well in, in advance, right? Michael Goldman, I want you to comment, uh, uh, you know, are there companies that, that we can think about? You see, my sense is there are many companies that are first successful, then pay big money, then leverage off that. Are there companies that we can think of even historically that have done well uh, and grown as a company primarily because of an association with FIFA, even though at that stage they were very, very small? That's an interesting question. I think um, if we look across the list of the, the top six and the, and the next eight um, you know, Kelvin spoke about Adidas and, and how Adidas has strongly built that relationship uh, with, with FIFA. Um, I mentioned Visa before. Um, I, I guess if I think about, uh, you know, using the FIFA global reach and the 3.2 billion viewers and, and the number of countries represented, I think for me some of the World Cup sponsors like Castrol um, and, and actually Budweiser would be interesting to look at because, you know, if you look back to 2010, Budweiser certainly had no real presence um, and, and tried to use the World Cup in a small way to do that. And it, I, I guess it wasn't part of their, their strategy uh, strongly to use 2010. Um, but those are the kinds of brands that could work off the back of, of, of kind of FIFA's global reach to have a global branding strategy. Whereas I think the top six, you know, your point earlier, the top six kind of have that sorted already. Uh, and FIFA just fits in to what they would do with the IOC or with any other major global platform. But I think if we look further down and brands that are paying less, maybe $20 million a year, they're really getting access to this global reach, this global platform. And I think there's the opportunity for them to build more of a global business uh, off the back of, of the FIFA tournaments. Right, we've got about two minutes to go. I'll tell you what, I want to just run through all three of you uh, in terms of this very important issue, and it touches on some of the callers we've had earlier on, which is, have sponsors reached a level where they are so important, so significant to the success of FIFA and the World Cup, that they have now began dictating uh, to FIFA what they want, what they don't want, not just in terms of governance, but in terms of other issues as well. James, want to um, we've seen a couple of press articles over the past week where, you know, major FIFA sponsors are now starting to demand um, forensic investigations into the awarding of the World Cup that's going to the Middle East. Um, so I definitely think sponsors are, you know, well, the, the tournament wouldn't happen without the sponsors. I mean, that's, that's, that's just an absolute given. Um, sport these days is big business and it costs a lot of money. So without the sponsors, there isn't a tournament. Um, I think that there's got to be those sort of levels of checks and balances from the sponsor as well, because you've got to remember that sponsorship is a partnership. It's a partnership between the rights holder and the sponsors that works to the betterment of both, hopefully. Um, so I think it's good that there's that level of discourse between them. Whether or not the sponsors are more powerful than FIFA, I suppose that's a debate for another day. And that could well, we'll see that in the future. Right, Calvin, what your final thoughts? Sponsorship, uh, sponsors versus FIFA or and FIFA? Well, I think, you know, I think the sponsors versus FIFA is definitely something that, that we're going to see come into the Lama Coast this tournament. I don't think we're going to see much in the next month, but I think there will be 
choose that do a raise. I think for me, the most important thing around sponsorship is that the majority of sponsors, the activations, they think they do from a retail, from an online, from a media perspective, they've really become the gateway for fans to engage with FIFA and with the World Cup because it's really through what the sponsors mm. do that people are able to engage with this tournament. And mm. so for me, they've, you know, the importance is really about allowing people to be part of it. You know, I think we, we were very fortunate to have been part of a World Cup and to have hosted in our own country in 2010. And, you know, I, I'm quite disappointed with the level of sponsor engagement in this country four years later. It seems to you they've, they've, they've let it slide. Um, and, and in effect, we're a very captured market. And, you know, for me, the sad thing is it's, it's the sponsors that allow us to engage with the Brazilian World Cup because the majority of us are sitting here in South Africa and only, you know, outside of the broadcasters obviously watching the live games through what the sponsors do that will bring mm, the World mm, Cup mm. alive to us again. And I, I think they failed us on, on large um, from a South African context, but I think you can see that a lot of where their focus, their focus has shifted into other markets. Um, you know, some of the other big, you know, markets of South America and places like that, and that's where the global sponsors have taken their money. And I suppose that's the loss we felt of not having an MTN and FNB involved this time around. Okay, that's a, that's a fascinating point. Let's wrap up then. Michael Goldman, your final thoughts? I think the relationship between sponsors and FIFA obviously is, is really interesting. We saw, uh, you know, Brazil had this really interesting law uh, of no beer, no alcohol at their stadium, mm. uh, and uh, were forced to pass what was called a Budweiser bill, um, you know, to to allow Budweiser to have those pouring rights at the stadium. Uh, and, and so certainly, I think there is this uh, interesting power and influence uh, between the two parties as they try and work out what's best for both going forward. Well, that's where we're going to leave it. Fascinating uh, discussion and, and lots of questions and answers, or questions that need answers even now and the future. Thanks so much for your time, all three of you guys, Michael Goldman, Calvin Watt, as well as James Monteith. And you can follow all three of them, in fact, on Twitter. If you just follow me, you'll follow my lead, and you'll see exactly where they are. Uh, right, lots more to come. In fact, we're going to talk about the Apex Awards, which ironically is all about that, isn't it? Sponsorship and measurable returns. And there was a big winner a few days ago at the Apex Awards. We chat to them. Uh, and then later on, Sanlam rebranding, Sakina Kamwendo, the AM Live uh, anchor. Well, we're going to chat to her about her story. All of that's still to come.